0: I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker, a best-selling author, and the original Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. Finally, welcome to the Rubin Report. How are you? I'm glad to be here. I am good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought you'd be a perfect guy to have on this week because we are both in this crazy town of Los Angeles. I've, I've been to your house. It ain't bad, my friend. You've got, you're in your beautiful studio and you got a pretty swank setup. But tomorrow, Gavin Newsom is gonna allow us to leave our homes. Can you believe it's actually happening? You know,
1: let me give you my take on it. I don't think anybody really listened to him I don't think there was any lockdown that I noticed other than that I feel terrible for restaurant owners who were forced for no good reason, at least in my opinion, to... Close their outdoor dining after they spent tons of money putting in the safeguards that one would need to have outdoor dining and all the barriers, partitions, heaters. I mean, it's crazy. And then just, I mean, I really feel bad, but I I have to say, other than that, I I think that there was like corona fatigue here in LA and it was more of a ceremonial lockdown. I remember the first lockdown, David, there was no one on the street, there was no cars around. This was not that over the last four weeks, it was like, oh, let's screw over all the restaurant owners and just like wipe them out of business. That's kind of what it felt like to me. How about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, my audience knows. I mean, we've basically been ignoring it around here, and I feel bad for the small business owners and and the restaurateurs. And you know, it's sad when I'm in your neighborhood or even in my neighborhood where you drive by the main drags and you know everything everything's closed. But that's kind of a that's kind of a good spot for us to start because for the for the people that know you, they they know Leo the Leo DiCaprio version of you. Um, but in a way, you're, you're kind of a startup guy. You're like, you're gritty, and you get out there and you do stuff. That's what your whole sure. career, the ups and the downs has been about. How, if you right now were just trying to start up something, um, how would you feel in the midst of knowing that the government can just come in and, and shut you down at any point?
1: I, I feel like at this point, you have to, to take advantage of that insane fact that the government can come in and shut down many different types of commerce right now so what you want to do is position yourself in a in an industry or business that would give you the greatest likelihood of being insulated from any of those shutdowns so things that are you know delivered online and can be done from a home and get delivered through the mail. Those are the sort of things right now that everyone is focusing on, things that are, you know, virtualizing basically everything. So I think that you know, I hate to say this, but it's true like in the worst of times you typically have the most opportunity for people who are willing to go out there and take risks. So like if I look at my business and I had this conversation with someone just last night about, you know, that there's a new round of PPP loans coming out and mm-hmm. I I Apply for it, and I deserve to get it. My business got decimated, decimated. My speaking business, because that was my core business. But now oh, I'm yeah. doing well because I have a new business. Words, but the the point is, is like if you what business you were in last year, you have to say, okay, well, in the new reality, the new normal, if you want to call it, those rules. You know, you can't just go out there and do business the way you used to do it. I have people working in my house. I don't have an office. I focus on online delivery, on virtual learning, on other things I know that won't be as impacted. So I think that you you have to go out there right now and assume that at any given moment, the rung can be pulled out from under your feet and while when we were growing up we used to call like oh let's go into defensive industries like like food and like Uh everyone needs to eat right like the movies everyone goes those are like defensive industries right well now defensive industries are characterized as things that are defensive that can't be shut down by draconian state and government measures it's insane
0: so do you think that's kind of the key to being a, a good business person a good a good business guy in general someone who can like just see that things have changed. Like I think a lot of people right now, they still think that the old world's coming back. They still think February, 2020 is coming back, but February, 2021 is gonna be way different than February, 2020. And I don't think February, 2020 comes back.
1: I, I think this is one thing that's, that's, um, that's, Always constant in this world, and that is that the world is always changing. The difference right now, and I think you're a hundred percent right. I don't think things are going back to the way they were ever. I really don't. Um, and not that people won't have, you know, I think people will not always wear masks. And I, and I think that there won't always be people social distancing. Cause you know, if you look back right now, we're in the middle of bubbles with things like Bitcoin and all this crazy stuff going on with some real estate prices soaring in certain areas. And you look back in 2008, and we didn't learn anything. It's, just a, it's the same thing again, another bubble. Yeah. So people like, you know, they, it's really bad after 2008. In 2008, it was like, oh, like we got to be really careful. We can't have bubbles. And people forget really quickly. But I think you're right, though, that like I think that the, the, there's a new way that people have become accustomed to consuming everything, whether it's food,
0: mm-hmm. movies,
1: learning, Buying products, I think that people have gotten comfortable right now or used to and even prefer in some re- in respects to buy things and stay home and i think that's never going to change i think that's going to be here to stay there's a movie some crazy movie that was that was i think bruce willis was in this movie where they all call, what was it called where they like they all lived virtual lives they're like actually locked away in these like little shells they have like their counterparts like their their clones go out there and move huh. through the world because it's too dangerous and too deadly with viruses and diseases i can't watch it's it's a really interesting movie but it's, it's almost like what we're heading towards i feel like
0: yeah i'm shocked i don't know what that is but it's got it's got a bit of the matrix in there for sure right oh, like, like we're just we're, we're just the batteries for the digital world in essence
1: basically yeah i i think the one you know one of the things you brought was a very good point is that you know what makes a great business person it's not just seeing it's also the ability to pivot quickly it's pivoting and learning how to be wrong quickly too you have to learn how to try things and be wrong and live to fight another day not to get so emotionally involved in the things that you're trying where you feel like I gotta make it work, Cause like, you know, I went this far, and, you know, no, it's just a bad idea, and like, you know, you try it, it doesn't work, next, and really to not get caught up in bad ideas, not to go down rabbit holes, and also just to keep trying and trying and trying, and again, until you find that model. And I think if you do that right now, there is a path to success for everybody out there, no matter how desperate things might seem right now.
0: So that right there is what I want to spend most of our time talking about because that's that's your expertise and you've you've it's not something you're just talking about you've you freaking well, get, lived it but but right, I live it yeah again and again but, always yeah but one thing before we get to that since since we are both in L.A. right now uh, my audience knows like you know I went to Florida a couple of weeks ago I was happy man it was open and good people were smiling. Like there was some great energy there and everything else. Are are you worried about the future of L.A. Not only because of Newsom and lockdowns and all that, but the progressive mayor Garcetti here and just generally the amount of homeless and drugs and the whole freaking yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: I'm out of here. I, I'm getting out of here. Uh, I, I oh, you never, are. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I
0: mean, you're you're on my short list of like four friends left now. I gotta go. Uh, yeah, I,
1: you know, I might keep a I might keep a small apartment here at some point. I mean, I I, I can't. You know, listen. California was the place that everybody else dreamed of moving to. It's this, and it, the weather is beautiful, the terrain is beautiful, the air is mostly clear, at least where we are, right? <laughs> and, um, but, you know, I think, you know, really poor political policy have turned it into a freaking cesspool. Not only that, but into a high tax cesspool. And I don't care, Payne, I'm okay to pay taxes if they're gonna use those taxes for, for great yeah. things, but they're not, you know, they use the taxes, they're wasted, um, and I just, I can't, it's just, it's honestly beyond the pale, what's happening here. And I think the only solace I could take is, I think it's worse than San Francisco. So like, I mean, I, I think it's actually oh. worse there, right? So oh, well, it's not as bad there yet, right so um i plan on moving to florida um and what's bo- but you know what's bobby's like it's causing a bubble right now everyone's running to florida mm-hmm. driving up mm-hmm. real estate prices i'm kind of waiting like you know hmm, i don't know but like again it's this weird thing here where you and i are watching we're almost like sitting here and watching in real time the decline and unraveling
0: of, of once great city it's insane to watch Yeah, and what's also weird about it, and I think this exact same thing happened in San Francisco was it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a couple years, but if you talk to literally everybody, anyone that will talk to you, they all admit it's going in the wrong direction. Yet for some reason, people in LA, they can't make the connection between voting for policies and and these politicians and then the bad stuff that happens. There's like a complete disconnect there.
1: Because I, I think what happens is that you know, um, and I, I, wanna, I don't want to get to left-right here. You know, because it's, but but the, I think that what the Democrats have been very, very clever and very adept at at, at this hearts and minds campaign. Of, of using this sort of, they've linked these things where some there's some moral high ground that they have with things like climate and, and gay rights and other things that are completely unlinked to the economy. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes an emotional issue and people, when they go to the voting booth, often vote based on emotion and not based on logic. And they've been really, really clever. They, they, they've consolidated this party, which comes to represent things that like, I think most people don't agree with fiscally, but they, they, they have this overwhelming, and I think the Republicans on the, have made some huge errors like this, mm-hmm. the gay rights, like, I mean, that good Lord, I mean, stop already. I mean, will you just stop? Like, like, just accept it. No one, it's, it's so stupid. So, if the Republicans hopefully will wake up and see what's going on right now, like, you know, they need to, and they've come a long way, I believe. They, I'm yeah, still, I, yeah. I don't want to get caught up in the election and stuff, but I, th- I think that it's time. For for that the Republican Party to be what it sh- should be, which is the most inclusive party for everybody um, that cares about less government, more rights for people, and you know not scored around with everybody's life. And I and, and somehow that and both parties always get hijacked by the extremists on either side. But what happens is the extremists on the left have this moral high ground, so mm-hmm. to speak, and they're using that. To win the hearts and minds of young people and the academics and the high-tech you know mafia there whatever you want to call it and it's causing elections to be swayed in one way and it's basically taken this once great city and it's you know essentially flushed it literally down the drain
0: all right well look if, if you buy a couple acres in Florida maybe just clear out some land for me okay. and I'll yeah, buy by, by the gator
1: patch. like, hey, Dave, <laughs> hey, come on. Don't worry, they don't bite. They're not crocs, they're alligators.
0: Big difference, you know? <laughs> Yeah, big difference, big difference. All right, so let, let's talk about that other stuff, though. Let's talk about the stuff that you really, sure. it's, it's your area of expertise. First off, I am sure that everyone watching this has seen Wolf of Wall Street, but for the people that, that aren't sure who Jordan Belfort is, g- give me the, the minute elevator pitch on elevator. Uh, what yeah on what you've done. So, you
1: know, when I was very young, we grew up in Long Island, both of us, right? I I, um, started a firm. Uh, in the late 80s, um, and I uncovered this niche in the market for selling $5 stocks to the richest Americans. No one had tried it before, and I then very shortly thereafter discovered a way of training salespeople so I could take average people that really weren't great at sales and make them unbelievable at sales. Those two things combined resulted in me building what became very quickly the largest firm in the country, back when I was still in my early to mid twenties and I was making a million bucks a week and I was from a poor family and I absolutely went hog wild and lived out every <laughs> adolescent <laughs> fantasy I could ever have dreamed of from, you know, buying a white Ferrari test roaster cause Don Johnson had one in Miami Vice from, taking a private jet out to LA and renting out the presidential, the Beverly Wilshire, because Richard Gere had done it in Pretty Woman. I went, oh, I went full (laughs) on there. And ultimately, (laughs) it started off as a beautiful, amazing thing and I lost my way and I started manipulating some stocks, smuggled money to Switzerland, clients lost money. I went to jail and I wrote a book about it and that book became a movie. And I got really lucky because when you make a movie, there's two things that can happen. You could like have a movie made about you and, and I love Danny DeVito, but let's just say you can get played by Danny DeVito or... <laughs> no offense, no offense. No offense, yeah. I love Danny by it, but or Leonardo DiCaprio and have Martin Scorsese direct that movie. And I have to say, you know, the, what they did is they, they took a book that I worked very hard on and I was proud of, but they, uh, and, the, and the writer, Terrence Winter, is a brilliant guy. and um, And all of us together created what really ended up being a very special amazing movie that has certainly stood the test of time and become probably one of the biggest cult hits of all time and 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 i think it will i i don't see it ending i think it's just here to stay forever because it really connects people yeah, and and, it, and it's it's awesome. It's, just the, it's a it, it, who could? Scorsese. What can you say, right?
0: It, it's just perfect. I mean, the movie really, from start to finish, is yeah. is just perfect. The speech that Leo that you give, I mean, is just absolutely epic and has been memed into a million other things. I know. But you 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 mentioned. <laughs> You mentioned we're, that we're both from Long Island. You're, you're about, I, you were born in '62, right? Am I allowed to say that? Correct. Am I allowed oh, sure. to say that? So you, so you, you got, look, you got, four, I look pretty good considering all the <laughs> drugs I've consumed, right? I mean, good lord,
1: I should be like Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, but I, you know, thank God I did pretty well, you know.
0: No, no, I can't see through your skin. You're doing all right, <laughs> um, but no, you're, you got 14 years on me. But we basically come from virtually the same town, and and a lot yeah. of the guys that are in the movie that you train, in effect. are are from Syosset, they're from Plainview. It's a lot of these these local Long Island towns, you know, right outside New York City. And we talked about this when I was on your show, but I'm sort of fascinated by it. It, There is something about Long Island that has generated so many talented people, corrupt people, comedians, actors, money guys. Like, Uh (laughs) it's nuts. I was going to say you know, like as you were I didn't
1: want to interrupt you but I was like, I was like there's something in the water there's <laughs> like something in the used water. To, to say there's something in the water like I, even in my apartment building on my floor I lived in this six story low rent apartment building three people on my floor went out to Wall Street and built massive firms. Now, one of them, besides he was a good friend, so he worked, but another was an independent guy named Randy Pace, who I babysat for his kids. He's 10 years passed <laughs> away now. He had one of the largest firms on Wall Street in the 70s. Like, So it's like there's something, It's, it's and, and the Syosset, it's like this Syosset Jericho thing. I was like Bayside, like it's, and I'll tell you what I think it is. I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it is a combination of proximity to massive wealth but not actually having massive wealth. It's about not being so poor that it seems out of reach. Mm -hmm. It's about having a great education so – creates this almost aspiration, like you almost feel like it's just there. It's within your reach. You see it, it's not yours. You have, you're given the tools because like, I think what's really sad sometimes in some really, you know, kids they grew up in these bad areas, they they really, they have the deck stacked against them. Like they don't get a mm-hmm. great education. Um, they have a lot of gang violence like things that, it's almost like they have to really be special to make it out and that hopefully, you know, will continue to change and get better. But I think we didn't have that. Like we, although we were, I wasn't born rich, I, this shot that something bad had to happen for me not to get out to the next level. Like, there was such a, a, a pathway out. And I think part of it is that stressing education for sure was just a big thing in my area. And also, there was like this mythical thing of like, you go, there, you move out to Long Island, you get rich. Like, that, that was yeah. a path. And I think that's part of it, you know? And I think that that, that that if you take those things and it creates a sort of competition and pathway to success. That's my opinion.
0: So, so when you were when you were building the companies and you figured out how you could do this by sort of reaching the rich people with something that wasn't normally thought of as kind of in their world, what, what kind of like ethical issues were, were you having as you were doing it? Like at first, did you think it was fully legit and then kind of lost control? Or did you kind of know, or did you not know? Or like, what, we, no, what were you yeah. struggling with? Very good question.
1: So, number one, th- there's there's two things, and there's a very interesting fact that like came out on my podcast. I had, I had the FBI agent who indicted me. He's a friend of mine now. Wonderful guy. Oh man! I, all right, and I, I got to let you know. Yeah, he's like, you should have him on your podcast. He's a great guy. Yeah. And and one thing that came out on my podcast with him because I asked him, there's this misconception that like that old people or people that were poor lost money at my firm. It just wasn't true, like it was not true. Like I ran the firm and like this was a policy in place, like we only call rich people. Now it's, A, it was on purpose. I didn't want people that couldn't afford to lose to lose, but also, because I'm a greedy bastard. Like, hey, you know what? You know, if you're gonna go take money, you might as well take it from those who have the most, because you're gonna get the most. So I'm not trying to say I was the greatest guy ever, but I certainly per- purposely steered aware, stayed clear of people that could not afford to lose money, right? But yet the perception was that people that couldn't afford lost money. The FBI agent clarified it because what happened was I left the firm, I sold the firm in 95, and after that, and before that, it was very controlled, and we were basically, I wouldn't, listen, it wasn't like stealing, it wasn't, it started off perfectly legit, and then it started to spiral out of control, but it was very contained, about 95% legit. I would say now that given what I see on Wall Street, what I did was 100% legitimate. Like huh. now, given what I see happening every single day, I, I used to always say I deserve to go to jail. Now I don't really think so anymore because there's such corruption on Wall Street. It's like so bad now. I really, you know, I, I say, well, okay, well, I did things wrong, but it's not nearly, I didn't bankrupt Greece or Iceland at least. So I like, <laughs> you know, I'm not that bad a guy, right? So you know, seriously, <laughs> the things that you yeah. see now happening in Maine in the bigger firms is unbelievable. But the, the big mistake I made was this lapse of ethics one step at a time. So mm-hmm. I want to be clear, I did break the law. I didn't yeah. deserve to go to jail for breaking the law, although my, my pr- pr- perspectives changed as what I see is comparatively, but it's still like, I don't want to say I, didn't, I did break the law. It started off perfectly legitimate, trying to make people money, and then I made some fundamental errors and I allowed the firm to grow too fast and I lost control of it. And then the first time I really broke the law, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do it once, I'll never do it again. But then my line of morality got moved a bit. So next mm-hmm. time, you know, you do things good again from then next time you step over, it's a little bit further to the right. And then back again, And before you know it, through these tiny, almost imperceptible steps, you're doing things you thought you'd never do. You're associated with people you never thought you'd associate with and it all seems perfectly okay. It's like you dip your toe into a bathtub, piping hot water, and you're like, oh, wow, so hot, right? And then three minutes later, you're in the water and it feels fine. Now, when I was a young boy, I remember distinctly thing, think, oh, I know what's going on. I get in the bath and I'm, the water's cooling down because my body's cool. But no, the water's not cooling down, you're just getting used to it. Yeah, and that was the mistake I made, and and it's a mistake I'm very aware of today. Like I won't even take one little step over the ethical line. Like I am real, I'm more careful than anybody else because I can't afford to have a second hiccup here, right? So I yeah. like, I always say to myself, like any action I take. Like, if it's even the slightest, bit, I just won't do it. You know, I'm not going to take that chance. That's my best protection against ever doing anything wrong again. And I think it's really good for everyone to look that way. But there are some things in life with there's gray areas. And there's nothing wrong with me playing in the gray. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I think that the test is if you're going to hurt someone else along the way. That's probably the the single thing that that's like, eh, if you're going to hurt someone else, if it's a victim list in the gray, okay, well, you can consider it. But other than that, it's a no-go.
0: Well, I just love the honesty there because I think a lot of people think it's like, oh, there there are like good people, and then one day they just make a decision to like do bad things. Where it's like, oh, along the way of building something that that started just exploding under you, like some strange decision—not strange, some some decisions start being made, and then next thing you know, you're in you're in that different water. But one one of the things I watched the movie about two weeks ago in in preparation for this, and I've seen it probably ten times already. But one of the things that I think is like your greatest skill and I sense probably what you get the most joy from is the way you were able to train these guys. Just guys, guys that weren't thinking that they were gonna be selling stocks, guys that probably didn't have much of a future, guys that were doing all kinds of drugs and had all kinds of other problems, but that you could turn them into something that they weren't is is pretty cool.
1: It's still my, to this day, it's definitely like the passion I have. And I love the fact that I go out and Get to do that not as much now with COVID, but you know I still do it virtually, and I'm sure that part will eventually come back of speaking to live and you know these huge stadiums and stuff, which I used to do a lot of. Um I, I you know what I really think, and I noticed as very young when I was in my early 20s that I had this ability to to you know kind of motivate and just naturally knew what someone wanted to hear, and I really perfected that over many many years. But I, I think what I, the most important thing to take away to everyone listening is that. I don't think that you, the listener, just, I don't know who you all are, but what you're truly capable of. I think people tend to not realize what Mm -hmm. they're truly capable of. Like we all have all this really bad programming and so much of it comes down to you not possessing the skills that you need. There are certain core skills that you need to succeed in this world. And they're not all taught. Most aren't taught. Many of us, are naturally good at certain things. But we, we don't realize is that like for example, okay, you want to play tennis and you suck. So what do you do? You take tennis lessons. Like you go and get lessons, right? You know, well if you want to go out and succeed in the world of business and make money, what do you do? Get lessons. Like it's just so odd like people fail to make this connection that like you know all of these things, especially now when every bit of information is so at your fingertips pretty much everything that you need can be learned or can be found. And if you're struggling right now making money or finding a career or just feeling like you're living an empowered life, it's not because you are fundamentally flawed or inferior or not worth it. It's because you probably lack some specific knowledge that you need to have in order to realize your dreams and your hopes and all the things that would just make you feel like life is just awesome and It's all out there. And I think it's so freaking sad that people are like they get blocked from going out there and living the life they deserve because they lack knowledge. It's like knowledge. I think that's the thing. It's not. Yeah, this talent. I'm never gonna be Roger Federer on the tennis court, but I could get good (laughs) enough to have a lot of fun and 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 win a lot of games from some good plays. Like, like you're never gonna be me as a salesperson, but I could teach you to be so good at it that like you'll get whatever you want in life. And and it's not just sales; it could be how do you run a business. It's all out there. The 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 templates, the work has been done by people. Granted, the problem is a lot of charlatans out there teaching stuff as well. But you could kind of, you know, you can look at reviews and search around but i would urge everybody here like i don't care you know if, if times are tough right now or, or you you feel like there's just like you don't know which way to turn like you have the ability to do whatever you want like you, you just do as long yeah. as you are willing to take the time to learn the things you have to learn and take some risks
0: yeah and now you can learn so much of it for free too it's like youtube this a lot of this ridiculous. stuff is free it's free yeah i mean i know people are paying you a lot of money to go to your seminars but like at the same time
1: People pay me every single day and they buy my courses. And you know what? You could could go online, go to my own website and get enough for free. The difference is, is that of course, if you pay, it's all perfectly laid out for you. It's it's the next level. But I purposely give it. I want people. If you can't afford it, just go and get the stuff for free from me. Because once they do. They, they'll buy because they'll see, oh, well, it's great, but I'd rather have it all laid out for me in exactly the right order and, and with all that, you know, it's, just, it's a better deal for them, but you can get everything for free. If, if So it's not money and everyone has enough time when it comes down to it. what happens is people, they get caught up in like these limiting beliefs with self-defeating attitudes mm-hmm. and negative program. They start thinking that, you know, this is my lot in life and I'm stuck and, you know, maybe it works for this guy or that guy or Jordan or Dave, but I'm not them. It's not, and, and, and it's so sad. I think now if there's any, ever been a time where you can reinvent yourself, now is the time. The whole I world know. is, you know, the whole world is going online. Everyone is is just, you know, is in that same boat of like, you know, like what's next? What, there's money always to be made in those situations.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's like we're watching the old world go away, but there is a new world on the horizon and, and there's gonna be a lot of people that build a lot of cool stuff and make a lot of money in that process.
1: Last night I went a friend of mine had some surgery and I was at his house and he's telling me about Bitcoin and GameStop and all these things. And I'm and I was really ragging on this new world of like a lot of the some of the way money's being made right now. But I think he missed my missed my message. Like no my point was is that like I don't like I don't play myself in some of these things that I think are all like, you know, it could go one way or the other. I'm more of a skills-based player. Like I just like things that are more skills-based where I could stack the deck in my favor by being really great at something, you know, versus like I, when I look at like throwing a dart and hoping I catch it going up versus going down, right? Yeah. So like my friend's like, oh, you're so negative on the new world. And I agree, I'm not, I'm, I'm positive. I think that you're hundred percent right. The old world as we knew it is basically either, I wouldn't say it's dead, but it's dying a very rapid death. And there's this Mm -hmm. new like entity forming right before our eyes of how people go about and consume and do and live everything and everywhere. And opportunity is all around us right now. And as long as you're willing to accept the fact that you're right, that it's not going to be February, 2020 in in another month right now, it's going to be 2021. And the lockdowns will end eventually, and you know what? There will be opportunity. I believe that's going to be extraordinary. And there's also going to be some hell to pay for all the fiscal responsibility, but that's a separate issue.
0: Yeah. So uh, this is an odd, odd segue from the success part. But as you were doing all of this stuff, and and the money, and the traveling, and all the crazy stuff you were doing, you were you were on a lot of drugs. I mean, the movie is sort of like a. <laughs> An adventure, an adventure through drugs. In retrospect, are you like shocked that you were even able to survive? And there were some moments where maybe you wouldn't have. Shocked. At at, at this point, I think it's an amazing testament to the resilience of the human
1: body, like the the human (laughs) liver. Um, One thing I had going for me is I wasn't a big drinker. And I, and I think that like what happens with the, a lot of the drugs that I took, and I got plain lucky, like better men than me have taken one hot dose and they've died, like Heath Ledger and a lot of great people, right? Uh, I got lucky, no doubt about it. But I, I wasn't a drinker and I think what happens with alcohol is it sort of takes a different, it takes drugs that you might know what the safe doses are for you and it throws it out the window. It intensifies the effect of lots of drugs and it depresses breathing and, and, and your heart beat and I think I was pretty at least um, aware enough that I never got myself. I mean, I overdosed once, um, but that was pretty much on purpose. It was more of an out, you know a cry, an outcry of a, an act more than trying to kill myself. But I mean, I I think I got very lucky because at the end of the day, um, I look at many people who I went through that with. They never really recovered fully. They, they never really, you know, if they're around that, they look unhealthy. Some of them died. Um, yeah. But um I, I also by the grace of God, by the way, as well. I mean, you know, I got to thank I think that I I've never been I, I believe in God, but I, I, I think that at this point, certainly there's definitely a path for me that wasn't supposed to end back then. And uh, I've been sober for a really long time. like i still drink a little bit, but I, you know, I haven't done drugs. It's been a very, very, uh, the last time I really partied like hard was April 17th, 1997. That was my date where I went to AA and, mm-hmm. and you know, and that was it. And then I've, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled a couple of times since then, but never, I've never done drugs like, you know, anything more than a little bit. I tried smoking pot a few times, but that's it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys though, they they either didn't make it or they or no, they're pretty we banged up. know those up now. people.
1: Yeah, it's pretty yeah, terrible, but I think uh also my drug choice was mostly like I was it was Quaaludes and cocaine. It wasn't heroin. You know, and heroin is like more of like, you know, the death blow cuz it it depresses your breathing, choking on your own vomit, stuff like that. Like I think the drugs that I did were more not safer. I was, like, "Oh, they're safe. These are safe drugs." I think they're yeah, less yeah, bad, like- you know. They're less bad so to speak, you know. On, on the terrible, like on the terrible index and not quite as terrible, you
0: know? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, all right, that's good to know though, that you For do still All your still children drink, out there. <laughs> yeah, you do still drink occasionally though, so. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I, love, will, I love a nice right.
1: little glass of wine here and there. I've never drank, I never drink enough to get really drunk though ever, it's not my thing.
0: Yeah, so what What right now are you seeing sort of business-wise with all the with all chaos and with the dinner that you had with your friend last night and everyone's sort of hot on Bitcoin right now? And there's there's suddenly a whole bunch of you know social media alternatives. I think you know a little bit about what I'm doing with locals.com. There's like a whole bunch of stuff sort of appearing. Are, are there things that are really interesting you right now? Yeah. So you know, I have my
1: own you know my own business which is doing really well. I'm growing it right now, which is a, you know a recruiting business that I'm rolling out over, you know around the world right now, where I help companies scale by finding them salespeople. So that's my long term you know, outcome that I see. I, I think a lot of the things that, you know, the, like these Bitcoin and trading, you know, listen, there's windows of opportunity for everything. I, what scares me, always scares me about Bitcoin is that, you know, I as much as I know about the government and how they detest money laundering, I just I, I just scratch my head and say, how would they allow this to become something that could so easily be used to launder money and it can, like I don't care what, I listen, I have a lot of friends that are really successful that love Bitcoin and I have some that hate Bitcoin. And the ones that love Bitcoin, they're legitimate people and they're not scamming, they just like, they like it, they have their reasons why. Um, But it it just, it's, I know enough about, it's very easy to use Bitcoin to like hide money and you know, and do deals that are, that could, that would otherwise be much more difficult to do uh, through the traditional banking system, so my point is like I, I, I just question. I'm not saying that's what Bitcoin is only useful because it's not. But why would the Government It's my fear. It's like the government said, you know, we spent all this time trying to stamp out Switzerland and the Caymans. So what? what all right, well, uh, great. Let's just get turn control over now to a system that we can't control. I, it doesn't make sense to me. The only thing that does make sense to me is if it's the government itself that released Bitcoin, <laughs> and they know everything. Like and it was actually the CIA or the government that's behind the whole thing. And like, oh, yeah, geez. go hide your money. It's great. And then like they know where everything is. That if that came out, I'd say, aha, now. It all makes sense, you know. Now,
0: now you're now you're really going down the rabbit but hole. Other
1: than that, but other than that, other than that, I I love, I think the technology itself of blockchain is really elegant. I think it's got a lot of uses, and I think that I understand that Bitcoin is a lot of people that like it. That and the more people there's a network effect on that in terms of not so much for spending it, but there's a network effect of the more people that, that think it's worth something. I guess it really is in some respect. And then also that we always look at things from a purview of the United States and as having a stable currency. So, you know, imagine if you're in a country or let will say you're in uh, Peru or somewhere, or Chile or in uh, that country and the, the, the currency is devaluing or Cuba and it's almost impossible to have a, uh, to be able to hold currency because it's not worth it. they would usually use dollars But Bitcoin is a good old, I guess, is an alternative. It's not very good for transactions. It's a storehouse of value. I guess it's much better than their own, their own, basically worthless currency. So I think there's applications for other countries that we probably don't realize as much coming from the United States. I've seen it as I go around the world that, that people in other countries, they, they much more think it's like, oh yeah, it's you know, better than my own currency. I'll take that any day. So we'll see. The jury's out. I, I, um, I'm still ambivalent. I think that it could go either way right now. If the, if the U.S. government doesn't step in and try to squash it, I think it, it could go much higher.
0: Do you think, despite the opportunity that we have right now because of because of the chaos, um, that just sort of generally the Biden administration with taxes and regulation and all that stuff is is going to scare a lot of people from from building the right businesses? What I think is that typically a president
1: inherits what they got from the administration before them. So Biden will reap the rewards of the Trumpism. And that will probably last for the first year or so, maybe two, and then the effects of Bidenism, whatever that might be, and the liberal policies, will start to really take hold more in the second and third year and even fourth year of his term. So I think there's this really weird thing like, you know, administrations, you know, know, they either get the credit or blame for things that really probably weren't much of their own doing. and my biggest thing is immigration. I, I, I don't get it. I just don't understand. I don't understand. Um, I, there's no doubt the immigration system is broken. I have clients who are immigration lawyers. And so I really have a very good insight into immigration right now, a really good insight. Uh, so I understand the system is terrible. It's broken. It needs to change. There's a lot of terrible things happening to illegal aliens that shouldn't be happening. That you probably would. I don't, I couldn't believe it until I actually saw it myself. That there are things that it wasn't like Trump's fault. It's been happening for a long time. You know, it started under Obama. It got worse under Trump. Um, but to let's say everyone could stay. It's insane. It's, it's it's like it's pissing in <laughs> yeah. the eye of every person that legally came here as much as forgiving student loans is pissing in the eye of every person who went to school, borrowed money and paid it back. It's like there's like yeah. there's moral hazard here in this thing. And so, you know, obviously we, the, the, the intelligent person would say if I'm gonna make no consequence for sneaking in, everyone's gonna come and sneak in. If I make no consequence for not paying back student loans, no one's gonna pay back their loans. So there's a huge issue with these things. And I think that's, I think that the common theme that you and I think agree on is that like about just personal responsibility for one's yeah, actions. Yeah. And I think that's like almost the underlying theme on, on the left is like, there's almost a lack of personal responsibility for one's actions and where one is in life at this moment.
0: Where, where does just common sense fall into that? Cause it's interesting when I listen to you, it's like, I, I know you can go deep on all, all the business stuff and, and how to help people succeed and all that. But you just strike me actually more as just like a common sense guy, more, more than anything in a way. And that may be a Long Island thing too, at some level, or like well, a Queens thing. I think that, I think that,
1: com- I think common sense is much more easily shown when one isn't saddled with prejudices. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I don't care about any of the social stuff on either side. I just don't like. To me, I think people should just do and be what they want, and have like I. I, I think a lot of the problems with the with these with both parties is they represent things that are so like they're not like there's politics and there's other things. You know, I'm trying to say and like like yeah, for me, yeah, I, I look at I think do. I see things really clearly because like I don't. Like I don't care. Like I would say, I'm prejudiced against two types of people: lazy people and stupid people. Other than that, I love or hate everybody else equally, right? Like, I think a lot. I think there still is out there. There's a lot of prejudice. People have a lot of like, um, just a lot of like. They come into the into the into an idea like not looking at it from a level playing field. And I think what I'm, what I think, one thing I do pretty well is I'm able to look at, I'm able to take a step back and go what it's called going better on my own. On, I just take a step back and say, okay, in all, in truth, all things being equal, like let's take the bullshit out of this thing. What's the real truth here? Like, I think I have a pretty decent read. I guess everyone probably thinks that, you know, right? No, I really think I have a pretty good read. I, you know, I'm, I'm well educated. I, 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 I make sure I listen to a lot of different points of view. So I think that if I sound reasonable, it's because I'm not allowing a belief I have about a core belief I have, whether it's about abortion or, or, or being gay or this. It's like, to me, it's so stupid, like to allow that to color your, your, your judgment for other decisions, but it does. I think it does all the time. And it's really destructive to, uh, to the country and to the world. I really think it is.
0: How much of that do you think is connected? You just mentioned that you believe in God. I, I've been saying for the last couple of months that I'm probably more of a believer now than at any time in my adult life, for sure. And I think it's partly that I've watched so many people from like a purely secular perspective or an atheist perspective, that just like they can change their opinions on anything on any given day, depending on who said what, or if Trump said something, you say the opposite, something like that where where people that have some belief we can all argue what that de- definition of god is it just keeps you at least some level centered uh centered
1: i think that you know like i don't look at it like you know, there's a big man in the sky in a chair like abraham lincoln sitting there that's god like i i think this, this is like i don't think there's, i think that there's like so I, I think that when you really come down to it, like God and science, it's very, all very close. Like I think they're all like two sides of the same coin. Some people call it one thing, others call it something else. Um, but I just think that like I'm not the highest authority out there myself. Like I think there's some, I think that there is truth. I think there is there is like truth. I think there's goodness and there's badness. There's right. There's wrong. I think it's pretty obvious. And I think like those things are just you know. Where they come from, I don't know. I just, I, when I say I believe in God, I mean, I, I believe there's something out there greater than myself, and I don't really care what it is. I think it gets corrupted by religion, by organized religion. I mean, that's the biggest problem, is that people, it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful pretense and a powerful thought, just a premise that it's just so easily corrupted by smart people for their own ends. And I think religion in an organized sense is just that to the extreme. There were people that were smart took some people, whether it was Jesus or Buddha or whoever it might be, or Muhammad, had really amazing ideas. It was a, a, a whatever they were, that they a were higher level of thinker or teacher or spirit. And then, ooh, I could take that shit and frickin' make it good. You know, I got damn. I can, <laughs> I can I can get everyone to give money. I can control the population, make them. And that's probably the worst view of it. I'm sure there's a lot of benevolent people in there as well. But I think that. At some point, a lot of this stuff gets gets you know goes towards the darker side because it's so powerful. Because it's a, it's such a like I think one of the greatest movies is like um, Contact. It's with Jodie Foster, ah, right? Right. It's just a I great movie. I love Carl Sagan. And, yeah. Right. And it's a great book, great movie, and like you know, they like they ask her, do you so you think that ninety five percent of the population is suffering from mass delusion? Right. I mean, I like, right. like, okay. And right? she
0: says, she says, I've answered yes. the question. Yeah.
1: Basically, I've answered the question. Right. I've already answered I think I've already answered that question. But the point is, is that you know it's it's a valid, like, you know, Occam's race. Like, you know, like again, like everyone, it's, it can't all be crazy. So I think that my my biggest fear right now, you want to know my biggest fear, Dave? I'll tell you what it is. My biggest fear is that we're living in the midst of a reordering of the world as it is in terms of power with between China and the United States. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's the, the moment, the big cataclysm is gonna be if there is a shift away from the U.S. dollar to another currency, whether it's the yuan or some other currency, this is gonna be that black swan moment that the, the, the reason the U.S. is allowed to get away with what they're allowed to get away with and reason the world is typically stable is the U.S. is that stable currency that's backed by only one thing, military might yeah it's all it's because we have more atom bombs and smart and, and planes and stealth and this and that that at the end of the day it just comes down we could blow you up like it's it, it really and it, it comes down to just that right right because
0: they they own all of our debt so it's like if they call in the chips it's like well this, if the mafia it doesn't have a guy that can beat your guy up you're in pretty good shape
1: exactly it, it's really sad but it's true at the end of the day it really yeah. comes by societies organize around war powers it's like about about war protection thing and go back to ancient times so i think right now as you have china playing this really slow methodical long game you know you can't listen you can't be a consumer and stay on top forever so there's producers and there's consumers and you, the us has become a consumer-based economy we make very little now except ones and zeros and, you know, China now is, and by the way, China's also getting to the point now where, you know, they, they are now, you know, as you start to elevate out of that middle class, you know, you become more of a consumer-oriented country or a financial services-based country, you know. So, but that can't, you know, watch what happens though. Look, where does the wealth go? Where do the reserves go? They flow always to the people who are producing, not consuming. And that's why the U.S. is basically flat broke right now. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, we talk about too big to fail with our banks but you know the US is the ultimate situ- the ultimate example of too big to fail because you know if the US dollar fails well you know good luck what happens next like not everything but that's the question is like how long how Long can you kick the can down the road? And I think there's probably smarter people than me, economic, that really study this stuff. Then maybe, no, I don't really know at this point, but you know, it, it seems to me that like at a certain point in time, something's got to give. And it's probably going to have to do with uh, an event, whether it's an EMT, uh, um, um, you know. Um, EMP, uh, I think. An EMP, me, EMP event. Something's going to happen that is going to be impossible to come back from And that's when we're gonna see a complete reordering of everything and how, and here's the thing, how hard would that be to happen, an EMP? Like, that's not like, you know, I always wonder like, when is like one of these crazy rogue, let's let's reset the board, let's reset the board. I mean, they reset. did it.
0: They did it in Oceans Twelve. So, or Ocean, was that Oceans Eleven? Maybe it was they, the first they, one. They,
1: they did it in like Avengers and Civil War. They did it. The yeah. guy did it in like in in, in, Soko, in Sokovia. <laughs> the evil guy right. from Sokovia did it. Right, exactly. So the if They've the done perks. it.
0: If they've right. done it in Avengers, then clearly they can do it. But <laughs> I, I actually the, the the broader point though of like that they own so much of our debt and that we owe them so much money and that what ultimately keeps us safe is just our military. So it's like. Yeah, we end up just kicking everything down the road until this, it's almost like it has to end horribly. It's not really something you want to think about, but at some point, it's like, how does it not end? It's not like we can ever really pay them back. We can't get out of debt. Yeah, I'll tell you how it ends.
1: Very simple. Look at England. Look at England. I mean, like, England's a perfect example of a post, you know, global power that's a declining power that's, you know, basically, you know, it's not like it's a, you know, if you look, but I just watched right, the it just show doesn't...
0: Bridget. Did you see Bridget? It's pretty good, actually. No, I didn't. It. I know I know a bunch of people It's actually really me, good. Yeah.
1: But you look back yeah. at the wealth, the concentrated wealth and power that the, you know this small island had, right? They they ruled the world by, you know, it's always about, you know, and what really killed Britain was the you know the cost of of projecting their power to the periphery of the empire was just too great to hold, right? The US is in the same situation right now, and it always comes down to how much does it cost you to project your power out. And I and I, I think that you look at Britain right now and you what do you see well you still see a big financial center there in london you still see lots of wealthy people but you know it's a lot of middle class sloggery that people like not have ha, you know feeling there's a way out a lot of like just like a very just that 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 Boom, it's not that they, oh, yeah, people were on the way up. So I, I don't think it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the United States becomes the great dust bowl of, 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 of and, unless something really, if there's a black swan event, that's one thing where something really bad happens. But I mean, a slow, like a decline, I could see it would be like the US is like just becomes like, you know, there's always going to be, listen, you drop me, my belief at least, you dropped me into the Sahara Desert and I will figure out a way to become rich in the Sahara Desert, okay? <laughs> like, there's always gonna be wealthy people and entrepreneurs, and the one thing the US has is this entrepreneurial spirit, ingenuity, so you'll always have successful people. What happens is the middle class gets squeezed, yes. and it gets harder, people have to work harder, they have to less, um, you know, the, the, the lower class just struggles more, and you have the, and also what you have with globalism, too, is a concentration of wealth in the hands of a few people. That's what you see with like the Bezos of the world. I don't put Elon Musk into that category at all. I love you. I think Elon Musk is in an, is just like he's just a he's like got the Elon Musk cool dude net worth thing going on. Like he's not monopolizing anything at all. But he's just like it's hysterical. Like, right? but other than Elon, you look at these guys that have you know like Bezos and and Facebook. These are glo- These are globalist people that have made money on globalism. And, because that's what, you know, globalism concentrates wealth in, in, the, in the few people's hands. That's my opinion, and it's, it's very bad for most people other than them.
0: Did you see this thing just in the last couple of weeks that Bill Gates is now the largest Land farm holder. owner in yeah. the United States? Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's like, what does he know that, that we don't? Or maybe we do know it, we well, just Bill, can't afford it. Bill Gates
1: it. is always, no, Bill Gates is always, Always oh, very quietly been in things like
0: food security,
1: water security. That's been a big play for Bill Gates quietly for many, many years. Um, um, so that, that didn't surprise me when I saw that. He's always been talking about that stuff. It's just that he's been overshadowed in the last few years about his, you know, vaccinations and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, listen, I, there's, there's two sides it to Bill Gates. Either he's a really benevolent, amazing, brilliant genius, or he is the most evil man in the world. Like, there's people that, like, I, it's like, it's like, I kind of like either, like, I don't know. Like, if Bill Gates' heart is pure, then I'm going to say, he's a, what a great guy. He really, uh, what a wonderful guy. Or, he's freaking or he's Dr. Evil. Like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess the jury's out. Like, I kind of like, you know, you know, my my ex-wife really hates him just. Hate like she thinks he's real, you know, and like I always said, well, I don't know, like I, I think, like what has he really done? Like that's so bad, like I don't know, like, but like you know, what she's like you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. Maybe she's right. I, I don't know, like I don't know, but it's certainly he's not going to end up going down history as a guy who was like. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, this guy is going to be like, what an amazing, like, benevolent, amazing guy. Oh, like Dr. Frickin' Evil, you know?
0: Yeah, this go- this goes one of two ways. I have to back up for a second because I don't have any great drug stories like, you know, being on Quaaludes and having to drag myself down the stairs into the Lamborghini, anything like that. But the one good drug story I have is that in 1997, in the summer, I ate a bunch of pot brownies with some friends. And we went to the movie theater, we're basically tripping. Like we were just like truly, like when it got you at that level, like out of our mind. We were going to see Air Force One on opening night, and it was sold out. The only other movie we could go into, you'll see why I'm telling you this story, was Contact, which I had not heard of Contact. And I sat down and I'm tripping. I mean, I'm full on, like losing my shit. And that opening panorama scene of the universe that I'm sure you know, that two-minute just extended. And that thing blew my mind, and it truly cha- it changed my life. I read all of Carl Sagan's books after that. You know, Contact was his only uh, nonfiction, but I read all of his movie, uh, all of his books, and it changed my life. It opened me to all yeah. of that stuff. I thought I thought you would appreciate that. I know it's not as exciting as some of your drug uh, adventures. Well, uh,
1: good, good pot brownie story is always good because like it's one of those weird things that like you know like you're like uh oh. Like I think I ate too much. Uh oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an uh oh moment, and you can't shut it off. You're like, oh my god, you know, we've all had those.
0: Yeah. Um, what What's next for you? With oh, all I mean, this in I, mind, all all this opportunity and all the stuff you're doing.
1: I'm I'm feeling like that. I'm really like on path right now. Like I think I'm. Like I kind of love what I'm doing. Um, I love my the business that I'm in right now, and. um I'm slowly but surely like just like you know like what I'm doing is I'm building a network really uh, of for recruiting and you know going city by city and ultimately then you know state by state country by country and really trying to create uh, a platform that will allow anybody who wants to go into sales to really easily get themselves trained and get a high-paying job and also allow companies that are looking for salespeople, quality salespeople, to be able to go somewhere and use this as a resource to instantly be able to find, you know, the type of people they want, to know what their level of training is, how they perform on certain types of tests and scores. I think this doesn't exist right now with sales. Because like, you know, for most professions, you know, you can look at someone's resume or their career or their school and say, ah, this person went to Harvard or Yale or this place or that place and, you know, they've got this degree so they've done the work and that doesn't hold up when it comes to sales. Like, you know, some of the Mm -hmm. worst salespeople in the world went to the best schools and vice versa. People that did not even graduate high school are incredible salespeople and huge assets to companies. So there's a different parameter. So I think it's a very disjointed, uh kind of screwed up model that how companies go about choosing salespeople and trying to scale. And it's probably their biggest pain point. So a company that's trying to grow, they'll typically say the biggest pain point is, you know, my turnover of salespeople was massive. First year attrition is enormous. First year performance is terrible. So I'm trying to address that problem by, you know, really you know, creating a much uh more robust database and data set for people to go out there and choose salespeople. So it's a a long-term project I have right now. It's like mapping the genome. (laughs) No, it's it's a a little shorter than that. But I'm doing that right now. It's going amazing. And I'm doing a lot of consulting right now for companies, exciting stuff. And uh, I'm waiting anxiously for the world to open and there's going to be just a wonderful year for me of just going country to country, to country, to country for all of those countries that I, you know, always go to. I mean, I just can have a, a fun couple of years where I'll get to really travel the world and really uh, do what I love doing, which is, you know, getting in front of a large crowd. So in the meantime, I'm just doing that and, um, and having a lot of fun.
0: Jordan. I owe you dinner. We're doing it at my place next week. I'm going to text you in a minute. We'll get it text on the book. and we'll do it. All right. And it was great talking to you. And uh, wait, where are we sending? Where are we sending people? Where are we sending people? Oh, I want to put a link Jord- in the Jordans description.
1: Delford.com or StraightLineHiring.com. Check it out. And uh, everyone knows where to find me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a weed. I'm everywhere. <laughs> all right. Good seeing you, man.
0: Take care, pal. Bye.